Welcome to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. Be Set Free features the teaching ministry of Pastor Nick Cady. Pastor Nick's desire is to bring the gospel into our lives so we can experience the joy and freedom that can only be found through Jesus. Today's message comes from our series, By Faith, in which we look at the role that taking steps of faith plays in our relationship with God. Here's Pastor Nick. Oh, good morning. Would you please open with me in your Bibles to the book of Numbers, chapter 13. We're beginning a new series this Sunday called By Faith. This is going to be a short series, only three weeks long, in which we're going to be talking about what faith is and what is the role of faith that it plays, what role faith plays in our relationship with God. You know, what's interesting, and originally we planned this series because of the unique season that we're in as a church family, as many of you know, and as you can see, uh, over the past few years, you know, we've been praying, we've been saving money because we believe that God's next stage for us as a church was to move into our own facility and kind of have a dedicated place for doing ministry throughout the week and, and that it would kind of open up opportunities for us. And just a few months ago, God put this incredible opportunity in front of us to move into this space we're in right now, of filming from here at Colorful Avenue here in Longmont, just right on Highway 119, north of Sandstone Ranch. Uh, but being in this location, you know, this is a great opportunity for us to broaden our outreach as a church. You know, I like to liken it to the family van. It's not the, not the point of the family, but it's a tool that the family uses to do the things that families do. And so we want to use this as a tool to fulfill the calling that God has given us as a church to make disciples and to engage in God's mission around the world. But at the same time, this is also a stretch for us. It's a stretch financially. You know, we're going from having a little to having a lot to work with. We, we were outgrowing the Memorial Building where we've been for the last over 10 years. And although the Memorial Building was a great place to start out and grow, we've gotten to the place where it was putting some very real limitations on us as a church moving forward. I always mention this, but our, our middle school class has been meeting in a hallway, and we, we haven't been able to expand certain things. And so as a church family, we were faced kind of with a choice, right? Will we choose to play it safe and stay in the memorial building, but at the same time deal with real limitations that we were bumping up against? Or would we take a step of faith and trust God that if this is how he's leading us, then he's going to provide for our material needs to be here. And as a result, though, we'll also experience greater blessings. So that was the original idea behind this series called By Faith. But uh, as you know, we are now in a, a very unique situation with coronavirus and social distancing, some of it's really unprecedented in our lifetimes and, and because of the way the world is, you know, it's unprecedented in the history of the world perhaps. History is going to tell the story of this time that we're living out right now. And as a result of the coronavirus spreading and everything, we cannot gather physically as a church. And so we've got this new building, but we're not able to use it. Everything is on hold. And the topic of walking with God by faith as opposed to living by fear is 
all the more relevant, all the more applicable to our lives than perhaps ever before. So for many of us, you know, if you're not afraid of the virus, which I would hope that you're not, many of us, though, you're dealing with things related to it. Some of you are out of work right now. Some of you, it's temporary, but for others of you, you don't know how long this shutdown is going to last, and maybe your job has ended completely. There are other things that we're dealing with in our lives that are just kind of throwing things into turmoil. And yet, as the people of God, I would say that we are uniquely we are uniquely equipped to face situations just like this. And not only survive and get through these things, but even to thrive in the midst of hardships and actually to fulfill our calling in an even greater way, to be the hands and feet of God in the world. And so, guys, you know, I would tell you this. The brilliance of a diamond shines all the more brightly and more brilliantly against a back, a dark backdrop. And so for us, these are the times when we as Christians, we shine. These are the times when the brilliance of the gospel shines all the more clearly, when people are able to see it more clearly, see the brilliance of Jesus and his gospel. And we hope that they'll see it through our lives as we walk by faith and as we face difficult situations. So this series is all the more relevant considering what we're going through. And what I'd like to do is just walk you through one of the most important stories in the Bible on the topic of walking with God by faith as opposed to being driven by fear. And so if you'd please read along with me, I'll read to you from Numbers 13 and 14. It's kind of some scattered verses. So Numbers 13, starting in verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, every one a chief among them. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran, according to the command of the Lord, all these men who were the heads of the people of Israel. Verse 25, chapter 13. At the end of 40 days, they returned from spying out the land, and they came to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him, We have come to the land which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey. This is its fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the hill country, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea all along the Jordan. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants, and the people that we saw in it are of great height. We saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who come from the Nephilim, and we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seemed to them. Now, chapter 14, verse 5 through 10. Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel, and Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were um, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes and said to the congregation of the people of Israel, The land which we passed through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land.
good land. And if the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bread for us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Then all the congregations said to stone them with stones, but the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the people of Israel. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that as we study this passage, give us insight into it. Help us to apply it to our lives. And Lord, would you help us that we would truly respond in faith rather than fear in so many areas of our lives where it matters. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 1, we're told what faith is. We're given a definition of faith. And what we're told is this. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things unseen. Then if you keep going a few verses later in Hebrews 11, verse 6, it tells us this, that without faith, it's actually impossible to please God. And so faith, we see, is an absolutely vital aspect of what it means to have a relationship with God. Now, when we talk, though, about abstract concepts, right? Like faith is kind of an abstract concept. It's kind of hard a little bit to put your finger on what it is exactly. So when we're dealing with abstract concepts, one of the nice things that the Bible does for us is it doesn't only give us definitions, like in Hebrews 11, but what it gives us is stories. It gives us stories so we can see what faith looks like lived out. We can see what faith looks like with boots on, on the ground, living and walking. This is what faith looks like, and this is what faith doesn't look like. And one of the stories that we have that does that most clearly for us is the one in question here, the story of Numbers 13 and 14 and the entering of the promised land. The title of this message is crossing the Jordan. And as we read this story, I would say that there are three questions that are posed that God wants us to ask ourselves as we read this story. And so I'd encourage you to ask yourself these questions, and this will serve as our outline. So number one, will you be driven by faith or by fear? Number two, which battles do you want to fight? And number three, will you take the step of faith? Okay, so number one, will you be driven by faith or by fear. In Numbers chapter 13, we pick up the story, and this is really a story that begins, I guess you could say, all the way back in Genesis with Abraham, but it goes through Exodus. The people end up in slavery in Egypt, but really this is part of the greater story of the Exodus, that God has freed his people out of Egypt, and he's bringing them into the promised land. I think it's really important to remember about the Exodus that the Exodus wasn't only about an exit. It wasn't only about God taking them from bondage, but it was about bringing them into a place of blessing in the promised land. And just like so many other areas in the Old Testament, what God did for the people of Israel in the Exodus was a foreshadowing of what God does for us in Christ. So just as Israel was in physical bondage to slavery in Egypt, we as human beings, we're told in the Bible, we are in bondage to sin, to fallenness, to corruption. Paul says in Romans that apart from Christ, we don't only sin, but we are actually slaves to sin. And yet, the good news of the gospel is that God has intervened. God has intervened. He's done something in order to set us free, not because of anything we've done to deserve it, but because he heard our cries, he saw our suffering, and he had mercy on us. And so he intervened. He set us free. Paul the Apostle actually says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 4, that just as Israel passed through the Red Sea during the Exodus, that that is actually a picture of baptism. How after God sets us free, the 
next thing that happens is we're set apart. We're set apart from the world, from our old life, unto a new life with God. Hi everyone, Pastor Nick here from Whitefields Church in Longmont, and we are excited to announce the Northern Front Range Calvary Chapel Men's Conference taking place on May 19th and 20th, hosted at Whitefields Community Church. This year's theme is A New Man from Colossians chapter 3, verse 10. We'll begin the conference on Friday, May 19th at 6.30 p.m. with a time of worship, teaching, and fellowship, and we'll end on Saturday early afternoon with a steak lunch. The cost is $25 per person. Speakers include Eric Cartier, Paul Boutan, Randy Golden, and spaces are limited, so register soon at whitefieldschurch.com under events. We look forward to seeing you there. Now back to today's message. And then the next thing that happens, right? God sets them free. He brings them to the base of a mountain. It's sometimes called Mount Sinai. It's sometimes called the mountain of God. But he brings them to the base of this mountain. At the base of that mountain, he gives them his word, his law, his commandments. Not just the Ten Commandments, but all 613 commandments of the law of God. And not only that, he actually gives them instructions. Instructions for how to organize themselves as a society and instructions for how to organize themselves after they leave that mountain and go to the promised land. And then he gives them directions when to rise up and move forward and where to go. And God leads them to this place, which is the southern border of the promised land. And I think that's really important for us to see that God didn't only, again, bring them out of slavery and bondage, but he brought them into blessing. God had a mission for them. So God saving them wasn't only saving them from something, it was saving them to something, to the promised land, to a mission, to occupy this place. And even beyond that, in that place, they had a mission. And that mission was to shine the light of God, to be a beacon, to be a lighthouse for the world that would shine the glory of God and draw people to God himself and his glory. And so in the same way, God has called us to so much more. He saves us not only from sin, from our old life, but he saves us unto a new life, a life of freedom and blessing, but also a life of mission to shine his light and his glory for the nations to see him and be drawn to him. And so the goal, right, is not just to come out of something, but at some point it's to receive the word of God, to get to know him through his word, but then to rise up and move into that life of blessing and that calling to mission. So that's where we see a parallel between us and what happened with Israel and what they were called to. It's really interesting, you know, what does the promised land represent? You know, in a lot of African-American spiritual songs, the promised land is used to represent heaven. But I would say that if you really look at the text and you really look at the story and the, the parallels here, we'd have to say the promised land actually does not represent heaven. And I'll give you a few reasons why. One main reason is this, that in the promised land, there are still battles to be fought. There are still enemies to fight against. There's still pain and suffering. There's still death in the promised land. The promised land doesn't represent heaven. What does the promised land represent? Right. Also, remember, in the promised land, there's still a mission to shine God's glory and be a lighthouse for the world. So it doesn't represent heaven. Rather, what it represents is what we might call the full Christian life, walking with God, fulfilling his mission, living out his callings on our lives, and shining his light to the world. It's living in that full 
Christian life, the fullness of who God has called us to be and who he has called us to be as his people. So where we pick up the story here, Numbers 13, God has led his people to the southern border of the promised land. And he tells them in verse 1 of chapter 13, before they go in, they should spy out the land. So one person from every tribe is chosen as a representative of the tribe, as a leader of the tribe, to go in and kind of do some reconnaissance work in this new land. Now, remember, why would they do this? Was it because they weren't sure if they were going to go in or not? No, that's not the reason. It isn't to decide, should we go or should we stay? The reason that they're supposed to go into the land right now and do this spying work is because they've got two million people with them, which includes elderly people, it includes sick people, it includes children. And so if they just start going, but they don't know the path, they haven't blazed the trail, right? They don't know where to go and where not to go, where to camp, where not to camp. Maybe they'll all be going two million people and like a bunch of lemmings, just like fall off a cliff or like run into a river and remember like, oh yeah, we forgot we can't swim, right? So they need to kind of plan out where they're going to go and do some recon work before they do it. So that's the reason these spies are sent in. It isn't to decide, should we go or should we stay? It's to make a plan for what they're going to do when they go in. And so what we see verses 4 through 15 of chapter 13 is that we're given the names of the 12 men who go in to spy out the land. Now just a little side note here is this. Those of you who are familiar with the story, let me just give you a little test. How many of the 12 spies Can you name off the top of your head? No cheating. I know that you're at home looking at your Bibles, but no cheating. How many can you name off the top of your head? I'm guessing that those of you who are familiar with the story can name two of them, Joshua and Caleb. In fact, I've never met anybody in my entire life who can name more than two of them without looking at the text. And there's a reason for that. There's a reason why people name their kids Joshua and Caleb, and they don't name them Palti, Shephat, and Shemua, although those are also names of spies who went in. Uh, Why doesn't anyone name their kids after those spies? Well, there's a very good reason, and we're going to see that reason as the story progresses. So chapter 13, verses 21 through 29, we read that the spies entered the promised land, and for 40 days they explored it from south to north and back. And near the city of Hebron, which is near the southern part of Israel, they come to this valley of vineyards. And in this vineyard, there's these clusters of grapes. In fact, the name of the city that's mentioned there literally means in Hebrew, cluster. So they take this giant cluster of grapes back to Israel together with pomegranates and figs. Now, just imagine what this would be like, right? If you were an Israeli person, you've lived for the last year or so in the desert, barren, almost no vegetation, very little water, and you come into this place where you see lush green valleys. You see places where you can plant crops, places where there's actual water and and sources of water for you to drink. And so they would have been so excited, so blown away. Wow, this is what God is giving to us. What a good God he is. Like, what a generous God. We can enjoy this fruit. There's plenty of water. There's opportunity to plant crops. And so verse 25, it says, the spies return and give the report. And essentially, the report they give in their facts is the exact same report. They all say this, it's an exceedingly good land full of blessings, but it won't be easy because there are giants in the land. There are strongholds, fortified cities in the lands that we'll have to deal with. There are going to be battles that will have to be fought in this land. Basically, 
there is an enormity to this task that is more than they're cut out for, and everybody acknowledges that. This is beyond their capacity. This is beyond their capabilities. This is beyond what they're cut out for. But here's where it gets interesting. Although they all agree on the facts of the situation, they do not all agree on how they should respond. They do not all agree on what they should do and how they should respond to the situation. The first of the 12 to speak up, we see, is actually Caleb. And he says, okay, yes, it's very difficult. It's going to be hard. But this is what God has called us to do, and he will be with us. He'll give us the victory because he said he would, no matter how hard this is. We can do this. Let's go. But then in verse 31, look at what happens. Ten of the other guys, the other 12, right? The other 11, 10 of them, they stand up and they say, hey, wait a second. There is no way that we're going into this land. There's no way. This is too hard. This is more than we're cut out for. This is out of our league. And they're essentially saying this. Check this out. They're saying, not even God can help us in this case. They say in verse 33, the people in that land are giants, they're big, and we are like grasshoppers in their eyes. You know, like if you, as a runner, there's this time of the year when all the grasshoppers come out, and then when you're running, you're just squashing grasshoppers as you run. It's like they're committing suicide and just jumping in front of your feet as you run. And so they're basically saying, oh, we're like grasshoppers, they're like people running, right? And they're just going to squash us so we don't stand a chance. But notice the difference in perspective that we see here between Caleb and the the 10 unbelieving spies. The unbelieving spies are focused on the enormity of the task, how great the challenge is, and the fact that they're ill-equipped for it, whereas Caleb and Joshua are focused on something else. They're focused on the bigness of God, how big God is, and the fact that God has called them to do this, and therefore they believe God will keep his promise. He's a big God who keeps his word. And so it says in chapter 14, verse 1, that the people of Israel, hearing these reports, they wept aloud through the night. They're weeping out of frustration, out of despair. God has led them all this way out there for years now. They've been, it's about a year and a half or so since they've come out of Egypt. And they've prepared, they've been excited. We're going to enter the promised land. But now they get this report. They're giants. It's, it's way too hard. They definitely can't do this. And, and of course, the people aren't listening to the two believing spies. They're listening to the 10 unbelieving spies who are saying, you know, we can't do this, rather than the people who are saying, God's called us to do it, and therefore, with his help, we can. Now, look, it says in chapter 14, verses 2 and 3, the people grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and look at what they say. It would have been better for us to die in Egypt or to die in the wilderness. Why did God bring us all this way out here just to kill us? Maybe we should go back to Egypt, and they like have a little meeting. They start throwing out names. Well, this guy will lead us. He can lead us. He'll take us back to Egypt. They start choosing a new leader who will take them back to Egypt. Now, I wonder how many of you can relate to those kinds of feelings. You know, I was talking to Pastor Mike the other day, and, and we were saying something similar, you know, like, wow, you know, God, why did you lead us into this building with this added financial burden and responsibility right at the same time that the coronavirus hits and takes away all the people who are supposed to fill up this building, right? Like we've got all these plans, all these ideas, and now everything's on hold, but we still got to pay the bills, Maybe there are areas of your life where you've said those kinds of thoughts. I know what God wants me to do, but it just seems too hard. 
It seems too big. It seems too daunting. I don't know if I can do it. I don't know if I have what it takes. In fact, you know what? Actually, I'm sure that I don't have what it takes. I'm sure that I don't have what it takes to do what God's calling me to do. It's too big. There are too many obstacles. I'm not cut out for this. I, I don't got this, so to say, right? And maybe you're even tempted to say what the people of Israel said, right? Hey, you know what? My old life really wasn't all that bad, right? It wasn't that bad. Um, you know, this following Jesus thing has turned out to be a little bit more challenging than I originally thought it would be. So maybe I should just go back to my old life. I know it wasn't good. I know I was kind of miserable, right? But hey, at least it was comfortable in the sense of I knew what to expect, and so we're faced with this dilemma. God is calling you into something which you know is good, something which is better than anything you've ever experienced. New vistas, right? New horizons, new summits, good places, blessings you haven't yet experienced. But in order to take hold of them, there are going to be some battles that need to be fought. There are going to be some strongholds that you're going to need to face. You're going to need to take that step of faith and obedience and following God's leading in spite of your fears. Guys, courage is not the lack of fear. It's the willingness to act even and, and do the right thing, even in the face of fear. When it comes to following God, though, here's the thing. We have reason to be courageous. Here's why. Because God has promised us the victory. This isn't just baseless optimism. This isn't just unfounded courage. This is courage which comes from faith. It comes from the promise of God that he's faithful, but it also comes from, from the actions of Jesus that he already accomplished. You've been listening to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We have two in-person services on Sunday mornings at 9.15 and 11 a.m. And both services are live streamed on our website for those who would like to worship with us online. We are located just east of County Line Road and Highway 119 at 2950 Colorful Avenue in Longmont. For more information or to hear other messages from Pastor Nick, visit us online at whitefieldschurch.com. Be Set Free is a listener-supported program. If you have been blessed by this message and would like to support this ministry, you can send a donation via check to 2950 Colorful Avenue, Longmont, Colorado, 80504, or donate online at besetfreeradio.com. If you would like to support Be Set Free Radio or the ministry of Whitefields Church in Longmont with a donation, you can send a check to 2950 Colorful Avenue, Longmont, Colorado, 80504, or give a financial gift online at whitefieldschurch.com.